0: Did you know that you should be comfortable on your bike? That's right. Your saddle shouldn't hurt, your back shouldn't throb, your hands shouldn't be numb. So many of us have these issues and we just put up with them, but we shouldn't. Investing in a good bike fit is one of the best things you can do for yourself. In this episode, I interview Natalie Collins, a professional bike fitter, doctor of physical therapy, and owner of Pedal Fit in Denver and Golden, Colorado. She shares why we should get a bike fit, what to expect from a fit, and much more. That's coming up after this intro. You're listening to the Fem Cyclist Podcast, and I'm your host, Kristen Bonkowski. Like most of you, I'm a bicycle-obsessed rider and sometimes racer. Each week, I'll bring you interviews from inspiring women and offer tips and tricks to help you thrive on the bike. At Fem Cyclist, we celebrate all forms of riding and all forms of women. So whether you're a road racer, bike commuter, or hardcore shredder, you'll find your community here. Natalie Collins, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Bike fit is a topic that comes up over and over and over, and I've been looking for a female bike fitter to come on and answer some questions for us. So before we dive into that, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Oh, my least favorite thing to do, but I will. Um... So again, my name is Natalie Collins. I own Pedal Fit, which is in Denver, Colorado and Golden, Colorado. Uh, And I'm a physical therapist and a bike fitter. We've been doing this for about 10 years. I love what I do. Uh, I do feel like um, there's a lot of message that needs to get out to folks. Uh, I am shy and I kind of like to hibernate into my own little world. And so, you know, I think this will be a good opportunity just to talk to folks about how they should feel on a bike and maybe make the um, uh, the idea of bike fitting a little less daunting because it can be really daunting for people both to find a good fitter and to know
0: what good is. So that's my dream. Let's start there. What? Okay. How do you find a bike fitter?
1: Oh, how do you find a bike fitter? You know, I love that question. I've never had to find one. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm an expert on this topic, but, you know, I think the message that everyone should get is that reputation should um, uh, be much more important than the tool that the fitter is using. I mean, certainly the education that they have and... You know, uh, their ability to use tools and to fully understand uh, you as a human and the cyclist um, that you are uh, are very important. And I think reviews really do represent people very, very well, uh, and especially in as a, for a bike fitter because it's you're going to spend a lot of time with that individual. You know, it's not like you walked into a coffee shop, had a bad experience and wrote a review. You're spending a good amount of time and really investing a lot of your energy, obviously uh, your finances and um, your hopes into that individual. And so I think people are more inspired to write very representing. Um, I don't even think that's a word, but uh reviews that really represent their experience yeah Yeah. and I think that's very important and not that we should put all of our uh energy just into reviews but I do think that asking folks in your area understanding really what you want out of a bike fitting and making sure that you match yourself with that individual Um, and then making sure that you're not going to just be a number uh, and you're not just going to be put into a box that you'll have someone who listens to you that helps you understand how you should feel on the bike and then really follows through on advocating for your comfort on the bike. And I think that's all very important. And I know that's clear as mud, but we all have some resources to help us find individuals, our local cycling groups, Um uh, if we're lucky enough to have them and Google and you can always, I i think one of the best services that I can offer uh, folks um, is a phone call before we even meet mm. and feel out how that person uh, listens to you and responds to you. If they're just trying to speak instead of to listen, you know, that might be a red flag unless that's what you're listening, you know, looking for.
0: Something that makes your Business pedal fit a little different is that you're an independent bike fit studio. How yes. instead of being in a local bike shop, is that something right. you recommend looking for, or what are the dangers, I guess, of going to a local bike shop? Right, it's easy for me to say yes.
1: I think that you should look for an independent bike fitter, and yes, I do. But I am in a uh, bike saturated area. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I I could throw a stone and hit four bike shops right now. Uh, and you know, not that I would ever want to throw a stone at a cyclist, (laughs) 15 cyclists on the road from where I'm at right now. So, you know, that's easy for me to say, if you're somewhere in a rural area, then, uh, you might have a fitter that needs to work out of a bike shop because that's the resource that they have. Right. So I hate to just say an independent bike fitter, but yeah, I mean, Unfortunately, the way of bike fitting is that you can get sort of caught up in spending a good bit of time, energy, and money on components, right? And so yeah. that is a benefit uh, for bike shops financially to offer bike fitting mainly to sell components. Uh, and I don't want to say that every bike shop does, but uh, you know that is a concern. So right. if you have the opportunity to go to someone who's an independent bike fitter who's a standalone, um, you know they have Um, enough uh, reputation and clientele to just do bike fitting. I think that's a big,
0: big plus for sure. For somebody who's never had a bike fit before, what does it consist of? Well, that's
1: a great question. (laughs) What do I think it should consist of or what does it consist of? So those are two different (laughs) things. Uh, I'm a physical therapist and I really believe that, um, you know, I can never take that hat off. And I really uh, have found over uh, doing this for 10 years that the body is adaptable and the bike is only adjustable. Right. And so, you know, we need to understand. We, we need to have a process that helps us understand how that individual uh, functions best in what environment, um, in what position. Uh, are there injuries that are coming down the pipeline? Are there things about how they ride the bicycle that could lead to injuries or that could lead just to performance um, limitations? And so, I am a big believer in a in a comprehensive assessment off of the bike. And to me, that's you know, a little less than half of the whole process, because we can always fall back on, is it the bike? Is it the body? Is it the combination? And which direction are we going? Because we all want to be getting better. We want a really good return on investment. And in order to do that, I think we need to understand how the body's going to adapt. So a comprehensive off-bike assessment, in some cases, some people might need to work on a thing or two. I mean, most of us know that, Mm -hmm. and uh, but a lot of us are guessing, right? So okay, well, I do 15 minutes of stretching a day. Uh, and unfortunately, what I find is that most people are going to stretch what they feel good stretching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't always mean that that's what they need to, to work on. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they don't even need mobility or flexibility. Maybe, maybe they need stability uh, or some strength work. And so really boiling it down to this is exactly what's going to make you better uh, and this is what could make you worse. We're going to complement that with your position and we're going to go from there i think that simplifies things so beautifully for people i think that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication and a lot of us get really overwhelmed with the self-care aspect mm. that goes along with cycling and if we can have that boiled down to something that's just really simplified and empowering, it's fantastic. Then we match that with the on-bike component. Uh, The on-bike component, you really should have someone who understands both the dynamic nature and the static nature of a bike position. Uh, And measurements should be taken, adjustments, and then I think you should reassess. And for me, I always look at bike fitting as a process. So someone gets on the bike, there's a good bit of measurements uh, that are taken, corrections, Um, the part adjustments, shoe modifications, cleat adjustments, and then I have the rider get back on. And once I get, you know, we, we continue through that cycle, that process, once we get really close where I can start to see that their, their body language and their posture are, um, I know it sounds corny, but basically communicating that they're feeling much better, mm-hmm. then I like to set expectations. And I think expectations are probably the most important part of a really good bike fitting. Uh, a lot of times people get uh, overwhelmed with their responsibility of communicating how they feel with bike fitters. That's what I hear a lot. And so Mm -hmm. I like to take some of that stress off and say, okay, this is really how you should feel on the bike. This is how your spine should allow you to stack. This is where you should have pressure on your saddle. This Mm -hmm. is where you should not have pressure on your saddle. Um, This is your weight distribution. And so I go through and ask those questions in a really um, uh, individualized approach based on your contact points, so that you have those expectations, not just while you're right there uh, in the bicycle fitting, where there's all kinds of distractions and <laughs> mm-hmm. things you're trying to remember, mm-hmm. but also after you go ride. And then I think one of my favorite things to do is encourage people to come back in for a follow up. And so that's included within what people uh, pay for their initial session with me. And because that just reiterates the the process that bike fitting really is.
0: What are some of the most common issues that folks have when they come to that they're hoping to address with a bike fit?
1: Yeah. Um, oh, great question. I mean, I would say number one is saddle and and all the things that are related to mm-hmm. saddle, uh, groin numbness, tingling, saddle sores, just plain discomfort and conflict. <laughs> Between you and the saddle, and then uh, even those folks who think that they're relatively comfortable in the saddle, but are feeling, uh, you know, numbness and tingling in the hands or neck pain or back pain. Oftentimes, it's a compensation from really not fully trusting and be, being supported by the saddle. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if you're if you're really just asking me to pinpoint the number one problem, I would say you know, saddle and things surrounding it. But uh, just listing off injuries, I would say, um, you know, hip and back pain, which sometimes are synonymous and sometimes are separate, Uh, neck pain, numbness, tingling hands, feet, and groin would be uh, the most common symptoms.
0: For saddles, and this was actually interesting because I went out to our community on Instagram and asked, you know, I'm going to be interviewing a bike fitter. What questions do you have? And almost all of the responses had to do with saddles. Oh, good. Um, So do you have – is there a saddle or a couple saddles that you recommend more often than others? You know,
1: I didn't really – i'm just saying this off the cuff here but
0: mm-hmm. you know to say
1: something like that it would be like saying this is the pair of pants that i think everyone should wear i mean it really is that specific and um but just like uh, our bodies have different shapes so do our perineums and uh, we all have uh, we know that <laughs> we know uh, that um Our tissue has different shapes, our our pelvis um, uh, obliquities have different shapes, we have different tissue in different areas, tissue meaning fat in some areas and and, uh, no fat in other areas. Sometimes our thighs are thicker or our abdomens are thicker, whatever it is, or Mm -hmm. maybe we have no padding. (laughs) Uh, So no, I can't tell you one saddle that works for everybody, but Mm -hmm. I can tell you common um, uh, problems and solutions with saddles. I think that um, a lot of people that come in to see me uh, are on the right saddle, just uh, the saddle is positioned in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. So that can be uh, something that's kind of a message I want a lot of people to hear, because so often I have people that come in and they've purchased 10 saddles and they've tried all these saddles and they're like, I've tried them and they don't work. Well, that is unlike putting on a pair of pants because you put on a pair of pants, you know, if they button, you know, if they fall down when you're moving, you know, they, you know, if they're too tight in one area or not in another. Right. But, uh, with a saddle, we have to position that saddle in a way that we can support uh, the ischial tuberosities or the sit bones. And once we do that, then that's going to take pressure off the perineum. Uh, if the saddle's just a little bit uh, too tilted up or tilted down. Um, all of that goes by the wayside now we're having, um, you know, we're kind of sitting on a hill, so to speak, and everything's rolling forward, and we're getting too much pressure in our perineum, or uh, so on and so forth. The other common um, uh, problem that I see is that women um, fall into the slippery um, slope of uh, women's specific saddles, Mm -hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, we're on a trend right now that women's specific saddles are a little softer, uh, and, and a little too wide, believe it or not. Uh, and so, a wide saddle can be just as problematic as a saddle that's too narrow. Uh, and so, uh, I think what's important is to set expectations really on what you should feel on a saddle. You should be able to maintain a really nice, healthy pelvis position, uh, meaning your pelvis shouldn't be tilted too far forward. Your pelvis shouldn't have to tilt too far backward. You should be able to hold that neutral position. Um, You should be able to unweight your hands. So you shouldn't have to use your hands to push backwards. That's probably the number one take home message. I want people to know about saddles and comfort. If you have to use your hands and your arms to push backwards, Mm. uh, then then you are not, uh, you're either not on the right saddle or the saddle's not in the right position. Okay, uh, and then about sixty to seventy percent of your weight bearing should really be supported under the ischial tuberosities or the sit bones. And again, that should be without having to push back with your hands, without having to round your back. Uh, no more than about twenty to thirty percent of your weight bearing should be through your perineum, and specifically perineum being your soft tissue, your, the vascularization, our soft tissue, our very important tissue that nobody wants to sit on because it affects yeah. the see and um our GI system and uh, blood flow and urination and all those types of things, we don't want to be sitting on that tissue. And then even uh, forward, uh, you know, the first third of the saddle, basically the nose, we should really only have about zero to 10% on the nose. And just to clarify, when I give those representations of percentages, that um, represents almost every community of cyclists except for triathletes. Um, With triathletes, we're going to have a little bit more forward bias on the saddle, Mm -hmm. uh, although that should still be represented in the bones. But in some cases, we start to get a little bit of pressure in the pubic bone, as long as it's not soft tissue that's just um, behind the pubic bone, but actually resting on the bone. In some cases, that's okay.
0: So you've talked a lot about your sit bones. Yes. Um, Obviously, if you go in and get a professional bike fit, you get your sit bones measured. Is that something Uh you can do at home very accurately? I think
1: that measuring your sit bones is a piece of the puzzle. Let's just say this. Okay.
0: Measuring your sit
1: bones is a piece of the puzzle. Uh, If you were to send one uh, female cyclist out to six people who advertise that they measure sit bones, I guarantee you, you'd have... Probably six different measurements. Mm. (laughs) So keep that in mind. Um, And then uh, just to take that measurement and apply it to saddles is almost impossible because, uh, you know, uh, let's say you have a specialized power that is a 143 power. If you look, at, because that's a very common popular saddle, mm-hmm. even if it's made in Mimic or Mirror, which yep. are some of those new cool materials. If you look at the back of that specialized power saddle, what you'll find is that the usable width of that saddle um, is quite wide, right? So if they advertise that as a 143, um, it, it doesn't slope down very much on the sides, on what I would call you know the back third of that saddle. It stays relatively usable, Right. And then it's uh, rather narrow through the middle section. And so you can actually use the wider part of the saddle. Right. Mm-hmm. If you look at a specialized power in a 155, Right, which is oh gosh, okay, I've got a wide sit bone. I need to go up in size. Actually, the usable width—this is the wildest thing—but the usable width of that saddle is about the same as the 143, if not less. And mm. some of that is because you—you'll see that that saddle tends to flare out a lot on the wings. Um, And it's hard to get into the hind third of that saddle. And it requires a lot of pushing back with your hands because as you pedal, your intertrochanteric, which is just basically the inside of your femur or where your traditional underwear line would be, is interfered with. Right. And so as you pedal, it scoots you forward. So I I hesitate to get to really put all of our eggs in one basket as in um, a measuring sit bone width. Okay. I do think it's important. I think it is absolutely a piece of the puzzle. It doesn't represent shape. It doesn't represent position on the bike. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of inaccuracies on how it's measured. So now that I gave that disclaimer, (laughs) my stump speech here, um, I will say, yeah, you can measure your own sit bones. Um, you know, there are a lot of, you can look up online uh, how to measure your own sit bones and there are all kinds of different techniques. And um, it really depends on if you have tissue that's going to be in the way or not. You know, you could sit on a piece of cardboard, put three or four pieces of cardboard together and sit on those and try to make a good impression of your sit bones. Uh, you can sit on a piece of paper and then see where the impact is of your sit bones. But um, a lot of that has to do with your trunk angle. Right. So if I'm sitting straight up and I sit on a piece of cardboard or a piece of paper or something, that's going to measure the the back half of my sit bone, which is going to represent a much wider part of our sit bone, because um, uh, I'm going to overgeneralize. This is not 100 percent accurate, but think about um, if you put your thumbs together and your and your pinky and your pointer fingers together and sort of make a triangle that's similar to the way that our uh, pelvis is shaped. Right. And so if you think about it, if I'm sitting straight up, I'm going to be on the wider part of the pelvis, the triangle uh, aspect of that Mm -hmm. pelvis. As I lean more forward, I'm going to be on the narrower part of that measurement. And so thinking about, okay, uh, sort of matching your trunk angle that you uh, have on your bike with. Um, the position your trunk is in when you measure those sit bones is very important. You know, if you're riding a mountain bike, typically you're going to be a lot more upright. If you're on a, um, you know, aggressive road bike, um, that you're going to do some crit racing or something, you're going to be much more forward, right? So thinking about the position that your trunk is in when you measure those uh, sit bones, even if you go to a bike shop and have them measure, try to represent that trunk angle the best you can. And then the other thing I would say is actually sit on your fingers. So um, you can just tuck your hands right underneath you, find your sit bone. Uh You can do one at a time, right? So find your sit bone, mark that position. Um, What you're going to find is that the sit bone is actually wider than we think. You know, Mm -hmm. if we look at our knuckles, it's a little wider than than our um, knuckles, right? Uh, And so um, what I like to do is make sure that I'm finding – the, the um, inner half of the width of those sit bones because okay. that's really what needs to be supported on the saddle. A lot of, uh, that's why you get such different measurements, trunk angle changes, and then also um, where people are measuring the sit bone. So I would measure the inner half of the sit bone and then really make sure the uh, trunk angle that you're using on the bike is what you're using to measure your sit
0: bone. You had mentioned a little bit ago, you know, one of the problems is that we've become so obsessed with the idea of women's specific saddles when- yeah. You know, you should be looking at a full array of saddles depending on your body type. How does that apply, or like, what is your philosophy on women's specific bikes? Are women getting better fit from buying a women's specific bike, or is it just a marketing kind of ploy?
1: Well, unfortunately, the direction the industry has gone is that it's become more of a marketing ploy. Uh, Do I think that there is a ton of potential for a women's specific? geometry of bike and, um, uh, bias of part size, you know, componentry. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think there's a ton of potential there, but, uh, you know, I also really like the idea of, um, things that are not women specific. Uh, I'd rather see, instead of seeing, uh, three women specific frames of one bike and three men specific frames, um, of, of the same bike, I'd rather see six different sizes of those bikes. Uh, because, you know, it's not just women that need specific geometry. Men do too, and uh, I think it would really support the industry a lot better. Uh, And unfortunately, I mean, we've all heard the shrink and pink A statement about the direction that a lot of women specific companies have gone. I don't want to say generally that women specific bikes are terrible. That is not, there are certainly a few companies out there who do make some good um, modifications to geometry for women, but I'd just much rather see six different sizes or seven or eight different sizes of the same frame uh, to represent people of, you know, uh, not just different sizes, but different. postures and um, abilities and things like that
0: what about the components because you've mentioned six different sizes of frames a lot of times we'll see like the extra large frame and the extra small frame being specced with the same components what what do you see being swapped out a lot for smaller women
1: well that is a wonderful question Um, you know the same rings true about componentry as well we just need more sizes yeah Um, What one, you know, COVID worked out very well for the cycling industry in that uh, it brought a lot of people, a new newcomers to our sport, which is wonderful. But one thing that it hurt us in is that they just, they had more reason to just make average size components mm. because we were so behind, um, on our production of componentry. They said, okay, well now we're just going to make a ton of these three sizes instead of making the whole range of sizes. And that has really hurt, um, a smaller women, uh, and smaller men as well, of course, but we're talking about women here, but. Mm-hmm. Um, the two main components that I think need to improve with regard to um, our offerings on sizes are handlebar width and shape. Uh, I say three. Handlebar width and shape. Uh, hood size and shape. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if we're talking about um, road bikes or gravel bikes mm-hmm. uh, and crank arm links. Mm-hmm. Um and there are companies, for example, I want, I definitely want to make a shout out to um, one company in particular rotor cycles um, rotor makes componentry that are outside of the typical size range. And that has helped so many people, mm-hmm. um, especially uh, gravel and uh, road cyclists uh, and uh, triathletes as well. Um, we're really behind on our mountain bike sizing. Um, even though most of the industry, you know, if you buy uh A company that a lot of people are familiar with would be Yeti, right, Mm -hmm. which is right here in, in my hometown. Uh, even on an extra large frame, they're putting a 170 millimeter crank on there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And if you know much about crank length, you know, that's traditionally much shorter than what they would put on there. Well, if you're putting a 170 millimeter crank on a bike that's intended to fit someone who's 6'5", why are we putting a 165 millimeter or even a 170 millimeter crank arm on a bike that's intended to fit someone who's 4'6", mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. That just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, the bike industry is going to, they're always going to use financial, um, reasons for incentives and motivations. And so, but if you're not making the componentry, how do you know that it will not, or it will sell? So, um, yeah, that uh, crank arms are the hardest thing, uh, hardest component that I would say, um, to source. Although Rotor is a wonderful company and I just really appreciate that they make those smaller sizes. Mm -hmm. There are other companies as well that are doing that, but Rotor seems to make it the most straightforward for for us. Um, We're really behind, like I said, on mountain bike crank arm lengths and um, handlebar widths. For the most part, we can find uh, handlebars that are narrow enough um, uh, for those who need narrower handlebars. They're just harder to source and um, sell out a little quicker and things like Mm -hmm.
0: that. If I'm going to buy a brand new bike, at what point in the bike buying process should I be getting a bike fit? Should I come in before buying it? Should I get the bike and then bring it in? What do I do?
1: Yeah. Okay. So we talked about pants earlier. So why not just stay in that uh, same (laughs) conversation? You know, it's not as simple as just buying clothes and then going to the tailor and having them tailor those clothes Yeah. because um, material is always adjustable. It's always uh, we can add more, take some away. Whereas the frame of the bike it has its limitations and having a frame with a geometry that's not just gonna fit us, but is also fun to ride is really important. If we end up having to put a stem on a bike that's so short That it makes the bike feel, you know, um, like riding a pogo stick. Well, that's not fun. Mm -hmm. You spend five grand on a bike, uh, you know, and then you're making this bike feel um, really crummy to ride, even if it fits you well. Yeah. So I'm very much an advocate for fit first. Um, in fact, what I like to do, um, and I challenge other um, uh, fitters to do the same, um, I I basically give uh, folks an hour to an hour and a half of a session, and I discount that session significantly if they go ahead and buy a bike fit from me um, for the future. And then I like to be their advocate and not only tell them which bikes could work for them, but why, mm. you know? Um, And that's important because not everybody wants to buy a new bike. Some people Mm -hmm. want to buy a used bike. And so explaining geometry, explaining how um, that individual needs a certain geometry, what will happen if they get a geometry that's different right? And they can make their own decisions. I'm not yeah. So this is what happens if you get a geometry that's very different. If the stack and reach are different, this is uh, what happens if you get the geometry we're looking for. Um, and uh, I think that is very empowering for people because otherwise uh, what we uh, know is availability, color, cost,
0: Right? yeah yeah in, in marketing and
1: advertising and we know that um I think we're we're becoming a wiser generation that marketing and advertising are very misleading mm-hmm. uh, and so I think getting a fit first uh is very very important uh, and it just makes the whole process so much more fun and empowering and um and so on
0: would you I mean obviously this isn't going to be for everybody but would you recommend if you have the opportunity to buy, build up a bike from scratch like would that get you a better fit than just going um, it's
1: very individualized okay right yeah. and it's a matter of calculating the costs yeah uh if you are someone who just does not fit on traditional bikes uh, or you're just always having to switch out this part or that part then yes thinking about it ahead of time is very helpful both financially um saving you some energy and then also thinking about which bikes are compatible Mm -hmm. with different parts. Mm Uh, and where you can source those parts and uh, thinking ahead on being able to get those parts. If you're someone who just does, you know, that just fits bikes right off the shelf, then it's probably not for you unless you have specific desires about the parts that you're using, you know, uh, fancier wheels or whatever it is. Um, And so it is very individualized. And I think that's where doing a fit first approach is very helpful because, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to buy a bike and then have to replace absolutely everything or build a, bike from scratch when I really didn't need to. And so I think talking through with someone who fully understands you, not just your position on the bike, but how your body's going to adjust matches that with your goals and your expectations and your riding styles. Um, And and sort of meets you where you're at with regard to, um, okay, some of us go through times when we're not on the bike as much, or maybe our body has a tendency to change shape or size, and that's okay. That's what our bodies are supposed to do. Uh, And so understanding really what the uh, long-term goal is, in addition to the short-term presentation is very important.
0: How much should someone expect to pay for a bike fit, first for the service, but then also like how much... Does a person generally end up having to spend on component tree to get the right bike fit?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Uh, You know, I hate to use analogies every single time, but I think it's important because I'm not talking to people in Denver, Colorado, and Golden, Colorado. You know, Mm -hmm. it's very—I know that market very well. Yeah, I can tell you. Um, But but rather, people all over the country and hopefully all over the world. Uh, And so, it's a lot like trying to buy a house. (laughs) You know, I mean, you're going to get what you pay for. Sure. Need to understand. Okay, well, if I buy a house where the foundation's falling in, I'm going to have to replace the foundation. What's the cost in my region to replace? That foundation. Mm-hmm. Right? It's similar with uh, uh, you know buying a bike and also having a fit. Sure. But I think that you do get what you pay for, both in componentry and in um, the the person that you're hiring to help you uh, have a good relationship with your bike and with cycling and pick mm-hmm. up the bike. And so it's just hard for me to say that because it's so region specific.
0: Understood. Yeah. Um what else have I not asked that you oh. think I should have asked, they would like women to yeah. know about bike fit? Oh man.
1: Um I mean there's so much to know. I think that the biggest thing is that um don't be intimidated by the process. Uh hopefully the individual that you pick to work with Uh, chooses curiosity over judgment. And I hope that you feel that way. Mm. I also hope that their ego is um, much smaller than their ears. Right. So they want to listen and they don't want to make you feel um, uh, bad for asking questions. Uh, Make sure that you advocate for yourself. There is a, there is a, um, once you've had a good fit uh, and I say the word fit, but once you had a really good relationship with your bike, you felt really comfortable on it it's opened up a lot of doors for you and you enjoy cycling even more because there's no conflict between you and your bike, then you have those expectations and you want that to be reproduced. But those folks who haven't experienced that, it can be really scary and really daunting. And so make sure you advocate for yourself and ask questions. And if you're not hearing the right answers, then ask someone else uh, that really should know not just, um, uncle Jim or, um, you know, your friend, uh, uh, Tina, who rides in your group, who's never had a problem with her bike, but, um, you know, look online and read the, you listen to these kinds of podcasts. Obviously you are, especially if you got to the end of this, but, uh, read articles and, and understand that, uh, you can feel good on your bike Mm. and that should be your expectation.
0: Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And ask ask other questions
1: too. And especially if you're working with a female uh, or someone, I shouldn't even say a female, but uh, someone who understands us. Um, You know, silly questions are not silly questions when it comes to a bike fit. Some of the questions I'm asked are uh, Should I wear a tampon when I'm riding? You know, Uh, is bladder leakage normal while I'm riding? Uh, How do I, you know, men adjust their genital tissue. Do we adjust our genital tissue? And if so, how do we do that? And what's the proper way to sit on a bike? What's the proper way to sit on a saddle? What should a saddle feel like? Which bib shorts should I be wearing? Um, And how should they fit? And how do I know if they fit? And how do I know if they don't fit? And, uh, you know, um, I have a saddle sore. Do you understand how to take care of that? And if so, let me know. And uh, that individual should be able to provide you some resources or some information. And if if they think it's beyond their scope of practice, then they should be sending you to a dermatologist or someone who can really take care of you. Uh, And is it normal um, uh, to have interference with intimacy? you know, after riding? No. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But, um, you know, those are the the kind of questions that you should be able to ask, I think is very, very important. And we should get that in our local community. But we should also get that um, from people who are helping us position ourselves on our bike.
0: I love that. I think, you know, I mentioned to you before we started recording this podcast today that in my local town, I can't. There are no female bike fitters. They're all men, and I would feel so much more comfortable asking those questions you just mentioned as examples to a woman. Right. Um, And it doesn't seem like there are as many females in this um, in bike fitting as there are men. Is it? Do you think that's a fair assessment? Um,
1: I mean, I'm biased because I know, uh, you know, I'm in female fitter groups uh, and I can name a few. Um, and feel free to email me um, and ask me if there's one in your area. I can try to put you in touch. Uh, okay. We are behind. I don't like to overgeneralize, but I'll speak for myself. I am not one to really put myself out there. I stay very busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love what I do. I like taking care of my clients. But uh, doing things like this podcast it really intimidate me. And mm-hmm. I just like to stay in my lane and not cause conflict. Um, mm-hmm. But I do see the value that it can provide to other uh, females and other uh, cyclists in general. And I wonder if some other females are like that as well. Yeah. And so uh, and especially in a very intimidating um, and cutthroat industry like bike fitting. I mean, there's a lot of ego. I'm not putting anybody else down specifically, but when I first got into this, I mean, I I <laughs> encountered a lot of conflict uh, from other uh, fitters in the area. And um, and so I just sort of stay in my lane and do my own thing and just try to help the people that i help so i wonder if there's a lot that um a lot of that that occurs really all over the mm-hmm. country and maybe that's why you don't see a lot of representation of female bike fitters but we are out there okay uh, we are definitely out there just like physical therapists um uh, who are good bike fitters not every physical therapist is a good bike fitter right yeah uh, and not every good bike fitter is a good physical therapist yes. either so um uh, but we are out there and uh, like i said feel free if you want to use me as a resource it might take me a few days to respond um uh, but you can always do that
0: amazing thank you for coming on and representing the female thank you thank you um i've got three final questions before i ask those where can people connect with you how can they find more out about pedal fit if they're in the denver area yeah uh denver or golden
1: hopefully um And I have people that travel from all over the country. Okay. So you're welcome to do that. I know that takes resources and I can help you find those um, if you need to, but um, you're welcome to come in. And uh, if that's the case, obviously you'll need to plan ahead. And so you can feel free to reach out to me. My email address is Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, at PedalFitPT.com. You can always just go to PedalFitPT.com and – shoot me an email and you'll reach me as well. Um, And I have another bike fitter who's coming on. She's a physical therapist and she can help answer some questions too. She's a pro cyclist. So we make a really good team. Uh, And um, you know, if we don't have the resources or the information that you need, we'll try to put you in touch with those who do. Uh, And yeah, I'll just try to get better about answering these types of questions for, for different mediums.
0: Very good. Okay. First question for you is what bike or bikes do you ride? Oh, that's a
1: great question. Well, here's my current answer because I find bikes to be a lot like music. (laughs) Maybe I'm in the mood for one thing. Maybe I'm not. Uh, But we work with Mosaic Cycles, who is a custom um, uh, bespoke uh, custom bike builder here in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and they do some absolutely gorgeous work. Their name is Mosaic um, Cycles because they do these incredible paint jobs and mm. And so I finally treated myself to a fully custom geometry. Uh, It's not for everyone, but it was definitely for me because Mm -hmm. as I had mentioned to you before we started the podcast, um, I am in a larger body. And uh, one of the reasons I got into this is because I've got some issues myself. And so the custom bike was something that I really wanted to do. I use that as both my gravel bike and my road bike. And then, um, my mountain bike is a pivot switchblade. Okay. Um, also because I'm, uh, in a larger body. And so, uh, pivot, uh, does a really nice job, both representing women and also making frames for people, uh, similar to what we were talking about. They make frames for people who are very small mm-hmm. and who are very large. Um, and then the frames that they do make feel sturdy for, for me in a larger body, I've never felt like I was going to break the frame <laughs> and I appreciate that. So yeah. I like to support them and I absolutely love my bike.
0: Second question is what, where is your favorite place you've ever ridden your bike? Oh, ever ridden my bike. Okay. Wow.
1: This is a great question. Um, My favorite place I've ever ridden my gravel bike, and we'll go international on this one. Uh, last year we went to Slovenia mm-hmm. and I learned so much about the culture there in Slovenia and, uh, you know, sort of dismissed a lot of the thoughts I had about Eastern Europe. And uh, it was incredible. We stayed on these, uh, they're called tourist farms, which, you know, if you live in Indiana, or in your case, I think you said Idaho, Mm -hmm. um, the word tourist is not something that's very pleasant. (laughs) Right. But these were very different. They um, grew all their own food. It was like a farm to table, uh, be uh, a bed and breakfast mm. that was just uh, privately owned. And we would go from place to place, village to village, and it was absolutely incredible. I would highly recommend it. Um, uh, Slovenian, uh, mm. and then um, my favorite place to mountain bike. Oh, how do I even choose? It's like choosing between your children. Um, <laughs> I would probably say. I've had the best experiences in, um, a steamboat, Colorado. I really love Steamboat. Uh, I actually love to grapple right there as well, but, um, I really just love steamboat. I love snowman. I mean, I, love, I just, any opportunity to ride your bike is incredible.
0: Final question for you is what is your favorite thing about riding your bike?
1: Oh, my favorite thing about riding my bike is the ability to escape, um, uh, society for the most part, uh, to get out in nature, um, to go fast, to push myself, to break beyond barriers, um, uh, and, you know, tackle anxiety, and also just be a representation of Someone who is fat and on a bike and out there kicking other people's butts, even though I'm larger than them or a female or that kind of thing, that's pretty cool to me.
0: Did you enjoy that episode? If so, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or tell your favorite female riding partners about us. It helps us get the word out about the Fem Cyclist Podcast, grow our community, and reach more rad women like yourself. Thanks for listening, and until next time, happy writing.